As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. everybody, Arthur Staple here. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Joined as always by my producer and ardent Ranger fan, Chris Flannery. Chris, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Uh, probably in a better mood than if you had if the Game 3 result from the other night had been reversed. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're uh, talking ahead of Game 4. Rangers are down 2-1 in the series, Game 4 at the Garden on Tuesday night. Um and we'll lead it off talking about Game 3, which uh, is probably the best one of the series to talk about. It was uh, it was a very familiar game, I think, to people who have watched the Rangers all year long. Um, a lot of good from Igor Shosturkin, uh, good stuff from the power play, good stuff from the penalty kill, mostly because of Shosturkin. Uh, and then a you know timely goal in the second with a little bit of luck involved and uh, empty netter three, one final. And probably the only thing that was unfamiliar was the softy that, uh, that Igor gave up to Nino Niederreiter. But um, in general, uh, despite giving up 44 shots, which I think I got to agree with uh, Shesterkin himself, it was not a lot that was super high danger. I mean, the Carolina definitely had the better of the scoring chances, the good scoring chances over the course of the game, but it wasn't an onslaught. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't 44 shots and 30 of them were good. It was, it was a lot of throwing pucks on him. And I think that works to his advantage. He likes like a lot of goalies to feel the puck a lot early, um, gets him into the game. You know, I think 40, they Carolina barely had more than that total in the first two games combined and not Shesterkin certainly wasn't bad in those first two games, but we'll get into more of those in a little bit. But, um, 
just generally familiar territory for the Rangers, and that's got to make them feel good because they had a good season this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I I, I also agree with you and Igor Shesterk, and I I didn't think you know I mean there were some obviously good chances for Carolina, but generally stuff was coming from the outside. He was seeing pucks through you know the Rangers doing a good job getting the crowd kind of out of the way and letting him see uh you know see the shots that came through so I didn't think it was you know uh, I mean for he, he made 43 saves look uh relatively uh routine I think throughout the the course of the game and yeah the Rangers played a pretty Rangers like uh game you know and I and we're, we'll, we'll talk about it obviously in the second segment here but I I don't know how you feel about it I mean I think I didn't think they played too badly over the first two games. Like I thought those were two games where they could have come away with at least a, a split out of Carolina, if not, you know, two wins there. Um, but I, you know, they were able to get a little bit extra offense, like you said, make the power play work um, in game three and, and they killed off the the penalties they had to uh, with their goalie being the best player on the ice there. So yeah, it was a nice, uh, a nice win. And, and you know, it feels like they're in a good place. It feels like they're definitely in a, in a position to uh, you know, go into game four and, and tie this thing up and, and make it a best of three. Yeah, they haven't. This hasn't been they haven't been outclassed in the series. You know, I think going in after what we saw against Pittsburgh, we were all right to be a little hesitant to think that the Rangers could play this way defensively in front of Shesterkin. And like you said, we'll get into it more in the second segment. But they were they were the better team for the bulk of game one, obviously, and then a decent amount of game two. They played pretty well, even though they weren't able to generate a whole lot. It's it's not a style that some of their guys are extremely comfortable playing, and I feel like their you know their big guys were a little bit more comfortable with a a little bit more wide open space in game three. But I think in general they're you know they're a good defensive team. They just didn't show it for any of the seven games against Pittsburgh, yeah. and uh, and they got back to it this time. So that was that was good. And I think the one thing that you know that was a very obvious change going into game three was Gerard Gallant tickered with his lines a little bit. Broke up the kid line, put uh, Alexis Lafreniere uh, up with uh, Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom. Um, <clears throat> Philip Heedle, instead of Capo Caco, going up to the top line on the right side with uh, Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. And that line was particularly good. And I don't, you know, Heedle was was good. And, and that, was, that was good to see that he was able to carry over some of his good play and very straight line play from the kid line to that line. But... Um, but Zibanejad and Kreider were were notably better than they were in the first two games. And I think we saw that in the first series, too, where those two guys kind of faded out a little bit when Pittsburgh started to take charge of the series. And uh, and then, you know, especially Zibanejad kind of seized it back at the end of the series when the Rangers rallied. And, it, um, you know, we focus a lot on Artemi Panarin, but I think the guy that makes the Rangers go is Zibanejad because he's on the ice a ton. He takes a lot of the big face-offs, even though I think, you know, Gallant kind of eased off there. Uh, in game three, which was smart. And Andrew Kopp took pretty much every D zone draw. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the burden falls on your top center. And I feel like Zibanejad has kind of maybe struggled is the wrong word, but, but he's, you know, he's trying to find his way as the number one center of a team that's in the final eight. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's a heavy burden to carry. Um, but when he has games like, like he had, uh, you know, on Sunday, then you see that this guy really is a true number one center and can be the the force that leads this team. Yeah, and I th- I think you said it right. I think finding his way is is the right way to look at it. I, I I because when he does find his way, when he finds the the you know the moments where he can really excel, he does. It's not like you know, it's not like he's incapable of playing uh, as a number one center and being a high level guy and a force in the series that kind of 
you know, brings the team through. It, again, he's, you know, we we look at Amika Zibanejad and he's he is still a young player. It's not like he's had, you know, a ton of of um playoff experience and um you know, he's leading an inex- a very inexperienced Rangers team, I think the least experienced team in the playoffs currently. Um so yeah, I mean, I think I think they're only going to really go as far like we said a, a number of times as far as that, you know, top 6 and those, you know, those core uh players are going to take them. Obviously, Igor Shosturkin notwithstanding, because he's starting to look, uh, you know, like like Vezina Igor uh, again through through this this round. But yeah, Mika Zibanejad certainly and Chris Kreider uh, led the way. It is it is concerning though still to see Artemi Panarin really struggling. Like I I don't, uh, you know, I I don't know what what it's going to take to kind of, you know, loosen him up or or whatever the problem is. But obviously, the focus on defense and you know maybe not being able to. Uh, as he put it, you know, do something stupid on the blue line or whatever is, <laughs> you know, is keeping him from from getting his offense going. But uh, you know, you watch the they had a four on one at one point in game three, and he ended up just kind of skating it into the defenseman who had, who had gone down to try to block a shot. Which, you know, if you've if you've watched Panarin to any length over his time with the Rangers or really in his career, that's not what he does. You know, I mean, he's usually able to thread a pass or or get a shot through or whatever. So he's struggling a little bit, but luckily, like you said, uh, Zabanajet and Kreider are are getting things done there. Um, and as far as the line shuffling was concerned, I thought that was a nice idea by uh direct lot to move the kid line throughout the, you know, the top nine. I was a little surprised. I, I, I personally, I'd like to see Kako play with uh, Panarin and Strom. I think, I think he's been really good. Uh, Kako has uh, down low working along the walls and being able to kind of win one-on-one battles and get the puck, you know, low to high, which is what the Rangers are, you know, usually trying to do in the offensive zone. So I was a little surprised that, um, you know, Kako ended up on the third line there, but uh, Heedel actually ended up looking nice with uh, Kreider and Zibanejad, and and you know the Lafreniere, Strom, Panarin unit was fine, but they didn't, you know, they didn't really generate a ton, so it made sense to put the kids back together uh, in the third period, and you know, put all the lines back together so they could kind of defend that lead. But it was, uh, you know, it was a good move by Gallant, and and they, you know, they won the game. They did what they had to do. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> not every game is going to be at Picasso, obviously, and uh, it, you know, this is the time of year where you just got to get the W's. And you know, I think during the regular season, when everyone was rightly concerned about the way that they were w- playing, even through the wins in October and November, that's something you have to fix. And they obviously addressed it internally and addressed it externally by bringing in some guys at the deadline. Um, but now you just got to win, and I feel like they do have a blueprint for for keeping carolina under under wraps with in terms of at 5 on 5 even if they're going to get the majority of the the corsi and shots and things like that um and i think you know the 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 galan also really went heavy with his top 4d at you know braden schneider i think had the lowest minutes of anybody uh, in the game, which is rare for a defenseman, he only played maybe eight minutes, and Justin Braun played about ten. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a heavy top four night, and and I think you know Adam Fox. We haven't seen him do anything much offensively. He got an assist on uh, on Zibanejad's goal, which was really the 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 big pass was from Panarin. Um, but I think they're you know kind of like how Panarin wants to do some sup- stupid shit at the blue line. Adam Fox would love to do some stupid shit at the blue yes. line too, yeah. and it just isn't there. And I think you know. Fox won't joke about it the way that Panarin does, but but you know the the coaching staff is asking Fox to do things that are not necessarily in his wheelhouse. He's a very good defender and a smart defender, but 
that, you know, Carolina is going to dump it in and make you turn and hit you and do all that stuff. Uh, and there's not going to be much reward for it. So, right. you know, I, I think this is not a series necessarily where you're going to see Adam Fox break out and have three or four point games or maybe even three or four points total, but they can still win because he's still Adam Fox and he can play 20 or 21 minutes, but it definitely feels like this top four is going to be defending a lot and the Rangers in general are going to be defending a lot and it, and it feels weird. And, you know, I, people, we always kind of say, you know, see some of the, the charts on, on Twitter and it's like, Oh, this is where they started to sit back with the lead. I'm like, well, it's Carolina. So they're going to make a push like they did in game one, like they did in the, in the power play in the first couple of minutes of, of game three. Um, but you're going to be defending and you're going to have to play simple and you're going to have to get pucks out and wait for your chance to try to turn a puck over kind of like the kid line did when Kako had a really good chance in the third period of game three that Ron, that anti Ronta denied. Um, so the, you know, patience is really important. And, uh, and I think with Panarin and with Fox, you know, if they can pop a one or two in on the power play and then kind of play to a tie the rest of the time, five on five, that's going to be a huge win for them in this series. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And and that's the thing, like you said, it's, it, they're not all going to be Picasso's and look around the rest of the league. It's not, you're not seeing a lot of, uh, Picasso's out there, uh, you know, anyway, um, it, it is what it is. You got to go get the win. You know, it's like we watch the Rangers and the, the Hurricanes play to two, one games, one, nothing. And you, you know, you look in the Western conference at nine, six, whatever, you know, there's, there's some wild things going on, uh, throughout the rest of the playoffs. And, you know, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's a question of, cause I think Fox and Panarin kind of play, uh, similar styles where they want to hold on to that puck for the extra second, make a, and they usually do make a special pass and it, it usually leads to a goal or a big scoring chance. But I think they're just going to have to continue to simplify their games when they're at the blue line or there's nothing there. They either got to get it deep um, or when they have it, just make sure they try to throw it on net as quick as possible or, or make that pass a half second faster, which of course easier said than done. And, and the hurricanes are, you know, rightfully targeting those guys. They're, they're the big offensive drivers, um, for the Rangers along with uh, Zibanejad and Kreider. But, you know, yeah, I think I think it's taking a toll on Fox a little bit. He is getting, um, I don't want to say targeted, like, like they're headhunting him or something. But, you know, they're trying to make him turn, and that that's Carolina's game. They put pucks deep, and, you know, they're trying to hit you when you, uh, you know, when your defenseman turn and have to go get the puck. So it is what it is. But, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of figure it out as they go along here. And I, I, I got to say, I think just to kind of close up the point here, I think um, – a lot of Rangers fans probably feel the same way I do. It's like we're we're kind of playing with house money at this point, you know. Nobody, nobody at the beginning of the season certainly expected the Rangers to be uh, in the second round of the playoffs, and a lot of people really didn't give them much of a chance, uh, including us. You know, we picked the the Hurricanes, didn't give them a a chance to win the series, not a chance, but we didn't pick them to win the series. Um, they're getting the experience they need for the for now. Uh, and for the future. So I think, uh, you know, all these things can be chalked up kind of as, as learning lessons. And if the Rangers can learn them quick enough, uh, they might end up finding themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the series plays out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we'll go from talking about uh, the stupid shit that Artemi Panarin wanted to do to the bullshit from Game 3 that Gerard Gallon called out. We're sorry for all the cursing, but this is the way the playoffs go sometimes. Everybody speaks their mind. So um, end of Game 3, for those who weren't paying attention. I'm sure everybody was horn sounds pucks in the middle of the ice, Ryan Lindgren running out the clock and Max Domi uh, decides to cross check Lindgren in the ribs, which did not sit well with Lindgren. Those guys wrestled around on the ice for a little bit. There was some jawing uh, from the people that were spilling out from the benches. Tony D'Angelo unsurprisingly was involved in the jawing and maybe a bit of a surprise. The guy that was giving it back to him the most on the Rangers bench was Gerard Gallant. And, uh, Gallant was pretty clear after the game that he was not happy with it and made a little sort of veiled reference to guys that they have, that if that if Carolina wants to play it that way, that they have the guys to take care of that, meaning Ryan Reeves. Um and uh yeah, it was a bit it was a bit surprising to see Gallant be the one that kind of led the charge there. I'm sure that there were plenty of Rangers yapping with D'Angelo. Um they certainly know what kind of yapper that he is. Yeah. Um but uh, but to see the clip of Gallant yelling "Grow the f up" at Tony D'Angelo, which you know, coach is almost sixty; he's a grandfather. Like, I don't know if that's the most mature stance to take, where you're the one who's yelling at everybody. But he's an intense guy on the bench, and was certainly a guy you didn't want to mess with thirty, forty years ago when he played. So, um, you know, and it's it's bound to happen in a series. And there was lots of talk uh, on Monday at uh, after the very light Rangers practice about. You know, it's it's over and done with, but you still file it away. And I'm sure Ryan Reeves was was taking some mental notes about who was doing what at the end of that game. And the Rangers really haven't done that kind of stuff. I mean, we see it all the time around the league, and especially the the two Western Conference uh, quarterfinals, uh, semifinals rather, that are going on right now. Has been some real nastiness and some borderline hits and goalies getting knocked out or goalies getting run over. Um, so, you know. To me, um, it's not the craziest thing that I've seen. And, uh, you know, the first two games were were a little kind of um, a little vanilla on that front, I thought, you know, for teams that have seen each other a few times this year. And certainly there's the potential for some fireworks because they are guys that they know well, but whether it's D'Angelo, um, you know, Brady Shea and Chris Kreider are longtime friends, D'Angelo and Ryan Strom, who kind of got into it uh, in one of the games, good friends too. So, uh, what'd you make of all that? And, and where do you think it goes for, for game four? Yeah. I mean, uh, I love it. You know, I, I, <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, I thought, I thought that that was kind of the missing ingredient for the Rangers in the first couple of games and really even throughout the third game, even though they won, like there's not been a ton of physical play. I mean, people, you know, people are hitting, but it's not, there hasn't been a lot of post whistle stuff, which look, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, looking for blood and guts out there, but I, but I do think as, as over the course of a series, um, you know, and let's say the Rangers make it. Let's for, for whatever reason, let's say the Rangers make it to the final, and they're playing against these Western Conference teams. They, like you said, those those have been a lot nastier. There's a lot more physicality there, and I think you know I don't think it's going to hurt the Rangers to to be able to get into maybe a little bit more nastiness, a little you know scrum around the net, which I think 
is also something that's going to help their game generally. I think you need to get more into the crease, get more into Ronta's face a little bit. Not like you're going to take a run at him or anything like that. But I think, you know, I, I don't think that's going to hurt anyone. I think it's playoff hockey. And, um, you know, I certainly don't mind seeing it from the head coach. I think we used to see it, um, you know, under the John Tortorella teams where maybe the Rangers weren't really geared to do that kind of thing either. And he would kind of bring them into the battle with his intensity and his, you know, fiery whatever behind the bench. So, yeah, I mean, it's not unexpected uh, necessarily from a guy like Gerard Gallant. There's clips going around of him, uh, you know, fighting during the play- during uh, the playoffs with the Red Wings and the the Blackhawks and all this stuff. So, you know, look, I I don't mind it. And he's right. We have Ryan Reeves there. If if somebody wants to drop the gloves with him, that's fine. And, you know, I think it'd be nice to see the, Ra- the Rangers are trying to establish a forecheck, which, you know, they've had mixed results as, as they've gone along here. I think a little bit of uh, a little bit of this is not going to hurt when they get pucks deep. Go try to try to finish someone. Let, make their defense feel like you're there, and I, I think it'll actually help the Rangers uh, all around to to get into the battle a little bit more. Not like they're not battling, but I, but you know I, I like that. It's it's the playoffs, and you know let, let's see where it goes. You know it's funny. We did talk to Ryan Reeves on Monday and he, you know, was his usual funny self, kind of talking about like, yeah, you know, taking notes, whatever, just trying to see what's going on and maybe somebody's going to try to run through Domi a little bit more uh, in game four. Or somebody might try to run through D'Angelo a little bit more in game four. Um, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> the funny thing is about, you know, Ryan Reeves, I think when the playoffs started, when everybody was healthy, we were kind of thinking like, is this a guy you want in the lineup every night? And frankly, w- taking away the intimidation factor or whatever that is, because he's you know, nobody's going to fight him on that Carolina team, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And he's played okay. You know, I think I'm sure that I'm sure the expected goals and the data tell a different story, but you know, and I, and I think Tyler Mott, who we could talk a little bit more about too, has a lot to do with that fourth line getting some more minutes than they might've otherwise. Cause Tyler Mott is a, is a skilled fourth liner. He's not just a guy who's out there to crash and bang. He does that too, but he does a lot of little things. And I think he kind of speeds up that line. Um, and Ryan, you know, Ryan Reeves had a, had a couple of great scoring chances generated by Mott in, I think it was game one. He had that two-on-one uh, that Mott almost batted the rebound in on, in game three. That would have been a, a good insurance goal before Mott scored the 150-foot empty netter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I think, I, I, I don't know, you know, people kind of say like, oh, you don't want to, you don't want to turn it into a sideshow for sure. But I think that fourth line has been playing an important role. And I think more importantly for a guy like Mott being in the lineup, where if you need a shift where you need to take a guy out uh, in, the, in the top nine and plug him in there, they can do that. He, he's the first guy out usually for penalty killing. So you, you don't need to burden Strowman's Banajat and Kreider with extra penalty kill shifts in a game that might go to overtime or double overtime. Um, you know, Reeves is not going to fill that kind of role, but, but I think that fourth line has really been uh, better than it was for a, a lot of the season, uh, and especially since they're missing Barkley Goodrow, um, it's been it's been important. So hope you know. You, I think you want to say like, oh yeah, like we're gonna, nobody's going to intimidate us, but also you don't want Ryan Reeves to be distracted from playing a, a halfway decent ten minutes every night. Yeah, no doubt, and I think that's the. Maybe the misconception on, on Ryan Reeves, if you don't, you know, see him play every night. I've watched I've watched every game that he's played as a Ranger, and it's he does not um he really doesn't take penalties. You know, he doesn't go out, he doesn't take bad penalties. If he has to, if he has to rough somebody up, he does it. Um but he's very smart. Late late in games, um, you know, throughout the season, you watch 
opponents where they maybe try to goad him into doing something and he just laughs it off. He's, he's not, he, he's at a point obviously in his career and you know, he's proven it. He doesn't need to fight anyone. Like everybody knows what he can do if he drops the gloves. Uh, so you're not going to trick him into like, you know, a tough guy contest. He knows he's a tough guy. He's probably the, the, you know, fiercest fighter in the league. If, if, if you're going to drop the gloves with him. Um, and yeah, I think he's been, I think he's been really good actually throughout the, throughout the playoffs. I, we talked about it before the playoffs started kind of the question of what to do with that fourth line, Dryden hunt or Reeves. I like Ryan Reeves being out there. And I think obviously Gerard Gallant has, has shown faith in him and he's, he's kind of rewarded that, uh, throughout. Um, and like you said, I mean, Tyler Mott, what, what, a, what an underrated addition, um, for, for Chris Drury. He's been great since he's been back. Uh, obviously he scored the empty netter to seal, seal things after, after Kreider missed from, uh, you know, seven feet from the net, which was wild to watch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's done everything that he's been asked to do. He's obviously helping on the penalty kill. Like you said, can move up if need be. Um, and I think, you know, Kevin Rooney also is sort of the forgotten guy on that fourth line, but he's been doing his thing too. He's been getting in, you know, after the whistle a little bit, he's not afraid to, to jump in and pull guys off in a, in a scrum and, you know, yeah, I think the Rangers fourth line is doing exactly what you'd want them to do. And like you said, the shame of it all is that, you know, Barclay Goudreau, who they got to be a leader and has been a proven playoff performer, which is really why he uh, signed with the Rangers to begin with after winning the Cups in, in uh, Tampa, has not been there. So it's all the more important for for that the, the fourth line guys to go out and do their thing. And, and they've been solid. Yeah, I just I do want to point out that Kevin Rooney was zero and ten on faceoffs in Game Three. So well, but we're not we don't have to talk about that. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was uh, Gallant said uh, said on Monday. You know, he basically told Andrew Cop before the third period, "You're taking every D zone draw." He said, "Even if I forget to tell you, just go over the boards and replace whoever's out, whoever is out there." And Cop oh, went ten and ten and six. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of. Uh, Andrew Cobb and a little bit less of Kevin Rooney and Mika Zibanejad on D-zone draws going forward because the Rangers have, had kind of been skunked on that one the first three games. Yeah. Um, you know, I think among the other guys that have looked good in this series, you know, series that's produced what? I mean, they, they've had combined, there's been three, five, nine goals. They had that in the first 10 minutes of the Edmonton-Calgary series. So it's yeah. definitely a, a different a different vibe. Um Alexi Lafreniere still, you know, set up the, the, the first goal of the series for Philip Hedl, uh, should have set up a second Philip Hedl goal that would have probably made this thing look, would have been 2-1 Rangers um, had Antti Ranta not made that ridiculous toe save on Hedl in the, later in the first period in game one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I thought Lafreniere was okay uh, when the shuffled lines and then when they got back to the kid line again forced to turn over on Jordan Stahl no slouch with the puck in the third period you know set it sent it down to Hedl back out to Kako they almost scored to make it 3-1 there um, Lafreniere's you know this is the kind of guy and it and it it's not he's not going to take over a game and be Connor McDavid he's not going to take over a game and be Sidney Crosby but the way that he's playing and you can sort of see you know, I wrote about the kid line the other day, like this guy had 19 goals all at even strength. And there was one guy of the 70 ahead of him on the even strength goal list this year who played fewer minutes. In, wow. And uh, I think it was Ross Colton who had 21 and played averaged about 1250 a game. Lafreniere averaged 14 minutes a game this year. If you see a guy that can play 17 or 18, like that's a 60, 65 point guy the way that he's playing now. And it's a guy who's going to throw some hits and is willing to stick his nose in. Um, 
you know, outside of maybe Keandre Miller, who's, you know, was kind of like steadily building to this point where he looks really steady and poised and deserves to play the most minutes on D. Um, nobody in my mind uh, has impressed me more with just his whole attitude about being in the playoffs than Lafreniere. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And that's the thing, like, you you know, in a weird way, I think the playoffs kind of took the pressure off him. You know, it's like as a young kid playing in the league, maybe you're trying to do too much. You're a number one pick. Obviously, there's there's pressure that comes along with that. You know, you're overthinking things, but you get into the playoffs and there's really no time to do that. You know, you 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 get out there, you know what you're supposed to do, and and, and he's showing leadership and he's he's growing um, you know, in the big spots. And and like you said, it's not just what he's doing um, you know, with the puck leading that leading the charge with the kid line they're they're doing a lot of great forechecking they're they're really the most consistent forechecking line uh that the rangers have had throughout the playoffs but certainly in this series they they've looked fantastic generating a lot of a lot of chances but right but even after the whistles you know Lafferty, he's not afraid to throw a little cross check to somebody or give a little bump or whatever and and nothing really seems to phase him he he's taken a few hard hits throughout this but he's given them right back and it's really heartening to see that because you know that next season he's going to take a leap forward when it when you know during the regular season it just it's obvious that the that the confidence that he's gaining and the experience he's getting here is going to carry over and he you know this this is the this is the kid that that went number one overall and this this is why you know you can see uh, all the qualities that are going to make him a, a really solid NHLer um, and yeah he's he's been I, I totally agree he's been very consistent throughout. And uh, it's very impressive to watch him grow the way he has uh, throughout the playoffs. So now we've got game four. Um, to my mind, still a must win for the Rangers. If they if they lose and go down 3-1 going back to Carolina where the Hurricanes haven't lost yet in the playoffs, um, not so sure they're going to come back from 3-1 down in this one or even come back for another game in this one because game five will be – not just the atmosphere in Carolina, which is which is good um, as far as far as the home team crowd goes. Uh, there were plenty of Ranger fans there too, so it was that whole yeah, that ma- whole uh, the whole yeah. like we're not selling tickets to anybody outside of North Carolina. Like plenty of Ranger fans in the building for games one and two, but um, so the Rangers need this one, and I feel like you know Carolina. Um, just not to like kind of delve in too much on them, but we haven't seen a lot. A lot of real, you know, Sebastian Ajo, I thought was really good in game two, like probably their most skilled player. And that's who you want to see. And he, you know, took charge on the setting up the shorthanded goal. Um, old friend, Brendan Smith, who scored that shorthanded goal, I think has played great, which is yeah, maybe, really, a bit, really maybe a bit of a surprise and a little bit of bitterness from Ranger fans who feel like uh, if Chris Jury, you know, maybe had seen that Brendan Smith was valuable, keep him, don't sign Patrick Nemeth. Brendan Smith is a lot cheaper than Patrick Nemeth. You would only have to commit to him for a year, yada, 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 spilled milk, whatever. Um, and Ronta and it, Ronta has been fantastic for them, better than I thought he would be. Um, but I feel like a lot of their other big guys, you haven't seen a lot from Vincent Trocek. Um, Andrei Svechnikov, who's this incredibly talented guy, has really turned into like a you – know, he of anyone who's thrown the biggest hits on that team, it's him, and he hasn't really generated much offensively. Um, you know, I think their checking line with Stahl and Nino Niederreiter and Jesper Faust has been really good and they produced the goal that they scored in game three. Um, but a lot of their, you know, they they have some interchangeable parts and, and really Tony D'Angelo, you know, I, I, I don't think you can get in 
D'Angelo's head, really. He's usually in his own head, which is the main problem. Um, but that pair with him and Jacob Slavin, and Jacob Slavin is an all-world player, and the Rangers, especially the kid line, made him look very ordinary in game one. And he's been better, I think, in the last couple of games, but nowhere near the, the you know, a guy who's rightfully, uh, you know, a Norris Trophy candidate when he's not, even though he's not a big point scorer. Um, just a guy who defends as well as almost anybody in the league. And that pair is, has kind of been a little bit underwater at times. And certainly on Chris Kreider's goal in game three, where D'Angelo got his kind of let his stick trail behind him and Mika Zibanejad flipped it in the air. And I just have to, I have to say that if you can, you know, maybe Mika should play horseshoes or something because he flipped that stick and it <laughs> goes end over end. Not only does it stay in play, it doesn't knock the puck off Chris Kreider's stick. In fact, it just lands in front of D'Angelo and gives Kreider kind of a, even more of a buffer to turn around. Because D'Angelo's like, hey, the stick's in front of me. And then D'Angelo's like, all right, well, I have no stick. I'm going to go down. Perfectly screens his own goalie for Kreider's shot. Like, I don't know how Mika did that, but kudos to him. It was impressive. And uh, so I think that, you know, Carolina is probably, you know, like the Rangers are much more concerned with their own play and we're more concerned with the Rangers play. Carolina hasn't hasn't done a ton that's really been very impressive. Um, like we said, the Rangers outplayed them for 45 minutes of game one and you know, the Carolina made a great push and then got a hugely lucky overtime goal. Uh, and in game two, you know, they I thought it was pretty even until uh, until that shorthanded goal. And Carolina really put the clamps down and the Rangers just didn't get anything going. And then in game three, you know, it was it was another game where Carolina, like we said, had a ton of shots, not a ton of great, really good scoring chances. And Shesterkin was really good. And, and the Rangers were, you know, leading pretty much the whole way. So, you know, I don't. I thought Carolina would really be able to, to control uh, the pace, especially through the neutral zone and on into the offensive zone. We've only seen flashes of that. So, I, you know, I wonder how hard they're going to come out knowing that they haven't won a road game yet in the playoffs. They're 0-5 now, 0-4 rather. Um, and knowing that if they can get one win here in game four, that they can go back home where they're 6-0 and uh, and try to close it out and get themselves a little bit of rest. So, uh, you know, game four is obviously huge for the Rangers, but it's uh the Carolina's gonna put some pressure on themselves to to step forward early in this one just because I think they feel like maybe the, they can get closer to shutting the door if they do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I they, I, I think if they win you know if they go up three one, I, I look we've seen them do it before. We saw them do it in the first round, but I think if they go three one down to the to the Hurricanes, it's it's unlikely that the Rangers come back. I think that pretty much is going to seal the deal and, and and Carolina will be able to get to that fourth win before the Rangers can can do it. Um I, you know, watching Carolina throughout the regular season, the matchups that they had, you know, when they play the Rangers and just seeing them generally. Yeah, I don't think Carolina's played their best game yet. Um, I don't know if that's a function of the way Carolina is playing or if it's what the Rangers are doing to them to kind of keep them to the outside and, you know, not and and being able to get the puck out of their own zone quickly enough so Carolina can't establish uh, the forecheck. I think I think you see what Carolina's capable of in the third period of game one. I think that's the team that, I'm scared of, you know, it's like, you don't want to see that, that them look like that more consistently. Um, but I, but you know, as I'm saying, I don't think they've played their best game. I don't think the Rangers have played their best game yet either. I think they played, uh, you know, 40, 45 minutes of their, of their really solid game or their best game through, you know, parts of the first, uh, three games of the series. But if the Rangers can put together a complete effort, um, you know, a 60 minute, defensive game and and get some offense going on the power play or, or whatever, get a four check going. 
I think they have a really good chance of tying this this series up. And then, uh, honestly, it's really anybody's guess how those those next three games will go because, um, I, you know, I don't think it's been the series that we've expected through the first three games yet. So um, we will see. Uh, I, I think, like you said, Sveshnikov has been surprisingly quiet, I think, through this. Trocek's been involved, but he hasn't done a ton, you know, so we'll see. I mean, I, I think, but again, I think uh, the Rangers are kind of doing to Carolina what Carolina is doing to the Rangers, where you, where the game plan is to shut down the top guys. Don't let them run around. Don't let them execute their game plan. And I think, I think both teams are, are having uh pretty good success doing that. And on top of that, the goaltending has been really good throughout. Ront has been extremely solid. The, the kid line could have had four goals in game one, you know, Lafreniere hit a post. Kako almost had one. Uh, Heedle had the uh, Ranta made the big save on Heedle, so that could have been a runaway for the Rangers in Game One, if not for Ranta, and he's been solid uh, otherwise. And obviously, uh, like I said earlier, it's just Sturkin showing, um, you know, the Vezina Trophy form that he had uh, throughout most of the season. So yeah, it's. Uh, but I, I agree. If it's three-one Carolina going back to uh, Raleigh, I think the Rangers are going to be in a lot of trouble. I think the series is basically over at that point. Man, 2-2 coming back, uh, going back to Raleigh. I think anything can happen, and um, you know, maybe I maybe I revise my my pick, and you know, maybe it's Rangers in seven instead of Hurricanes in six. But we'll uh, we will we'll have to see what happens, obviously. But uh, it, it's going to get good. You just want me dragging to the very end of each series, don't you? <laughs> you know, I I, I I certainly feel bad for you, all the extra work that you have to do, but uh, I, I can't root against my Rangers. I know, I know. Well, thanks as always, Chris, and uh, thanks everybody for listening to The Garden Faithful. If you're enjoying the show so far, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform, leave a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us grow the show. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. That's Chris Flannery. I'm Arthur Staple. This is The Garden Faithful. We'll be back again next week. Hopefully not for a season wrap-up. We'll see what happens with the rest of this Rangers Carolina series. Thanks for listening.